for, for having me. Phil and Edward have uh, never heard me speak, so this could be the last time <laughs> I'm ever asked back, but hey, if the Lord wills. So we're going to be in, um, well, primarily in Psalm 121 this evening. And as I was just praying about what to share over the last little week or so, I just really want to share what what the Lord has just impressed on on my heart, really, over the last sort of few days. And that's it's nothing complicated. In fact, it's very simple. It's just how how grateful I am that I know the Lord. How grateful I am that the Lord knows me, and despite myself and my shortcomings and my failures that because of the blood of Jesus, my sins are washed clean, clean and I can stand boldly before the throne of grace. And just how wonderful that is, that, that I'm forgiven, and how wonderful it is that I can, we can all, as Christians, turn to the Lord. That we have the Lord in our lives, that the Lord is that, that strong, mighty fortress in our lives and that I can be called, I can call him Abba, Father, he can call me a son, we can all be called sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done for us. That's such an amazing thing. And I think it was brought even more into focus this week. I was teaching last week and I I get the the pleasure of filling in at various Calvary chapels in the UK um, from time to time. And last week I was teaching at Exeter. And the um, pastor had a heart attack. And as I say that, I was telling (laughs) you earlier on today um, that the heart attack was the cause of my teaching. My teaching wasn't the cause of the heart attack. So he had a heart attack, and and I taught for him, and I went to see him afterwards. And I was just struck by his response to to that. It was a big heart attack. He had stents put in, and it kind of came out of the blue. But his response to that was one of faith. It was one of never really questioning God at all. It was trusting God in this circumstance that he was in. It was a surprise. He wasn't expecting it, but he knew that the Lord allowed it. So his response to this was one of faith. And then I went into work on Monday, and um, my boss, he had lost a friend over that weekend, um, and I don't exactly know how old he is, probably about 55, something like that, and it was, again, totally out of the blue. Um, and he was as white as a sheet. Like, literally, color was just out of him, and he, you could see he was just rattled, very, very fearful about the situation, and fearful, I mean, we didn't go into detail, I didn't feel like that's where the Lord was, was calling me particularly to, to engage in that conversation, but... He just looked fearful. He looked fearful. And it really just made me realize just how we, and I'll speak about us all as Christians because I assume we all know the Lord here, and if we don't, then this message is for you also. But we know the Lord, and just that huge kind of difference between knowing the Lord and being able to respond to these things in life, in faith, as opposed to having to respond to these things in fear. We know as Christians we're not promised an easy ride. In fact, the opposite. Jesus said you will face 
persecution. You will have these trials. You will have these things in life. We all go through life. We have choices to make. And it's not all just about suffering and problems and difficulties, but there are choices. There's just things we have to do as we go through life. Yeah, there are things that come out of the blue. There's things that brew over time. There's, there's darkness that kind of surrounds our life at time. But the point is, is that we can turn to the Lord. We can run to the Lord. We can always do that as, as Christians, and that's such an amazing thing. But then as I was kind of praying this week, the Lord really put on my heart that it's, it's amazing that, that we can do that. And just this resource that we have, this loving Heavenly Father that we have. But what about those people that don't know the Lord? They don't have that mighty, strong tower, the all-powerful creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of us that they can turn to. They don't have that relationship that we have with the Lord. And he, the Lord really just put on my heart those people. And I don't know any of your circumstances, but my circumstances were that I didn't even know the Lord till I was 28. So a huge part of my life, I was like that. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't have the Lord to turn to, didn't have the Lord to run to, didn't know any better. But now I do. So I can see that huge contrast, and it's immense. It really is immense. And I think about countless examples in the Bible, and I was thinking about David, for example, because David, he went through things just as as so many of us do, but think about David's kind of foundation before he, when he was young, he was a shepherd, he was a shepherd's boy, he was out there with the sheep, and probably not a lot else, just the stars, just the Lord, just the universe, and no distractions, no busyness, he was just his relationship with the Lord at that time to him was probably just everything. And he would be out just conversing with the Lord. And I think about that in terms of a foundation that David had for his life and the foundation that he had for the things that he would go through in life. He wasn't a perfect man. We all know that. But he was a man after God's own heart. He failed miserably, as we know, with Bathsheba. But what did he do? He, he, he repented and wrote that amazing Psalm 51. And then when he was fleeing from Saul, you think about that situation. You know, he would not kill the king's anointed, even though he had the opportunity to kill the king's anointed. But he fled. He had no choice. Saul was after him. The armies of Saul were after him. He fled and hid in a cave. And I think about that. All of these, these armies of people all surrounding David. He sat there in this cold, dark cave on his own, probably cold, damp, miserable, probably thinking, you know what, this situation is just, it's impossible to get out of. I cannot get out of this situation. And just stuck in this cave, probably thinking, you know what, I I, I may as well just give up because this is seemingly an impossible situation. And again, David in the account, and you can turn to it actually, because I turn to this scripture just so much. It's 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting at verse 6. I'll give you a bit of context as you're turning to it. David had been out, he'd been out fighting the Philistines. He came back, and another group of his um, that he'd been fighting, the um, Amalekites, had come and destroyed where he and all of his armies were based in Ziklag. They basically burnt the entire city down. They had taken 
Um, David's wives, they had taken all of the wives and the children of all of the people in Ziklag. So this is a pretty grim situation for David. And as verse 6, so 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So everybody was bitter towards David because David had led them out to this battle and then they came back and the place was burnt down, wives were gone, sons, daughters. And then not only that, if that's not bad enough, everybody turns on David. And it says that David was greatly distressed, but the end of verse 6 is what is amazing. I've underlined this in my Bible and this is such a source of strength for me in difficult times. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. So this situation, way beyond David, way beyond anything that David could do himself, but his strength came from the Lord. And I underline the word his here because David strengthened himself in his Lord. And God is David's God, but God is my God. God is your God. God is each of our gods. It's not, he, God is not just David's God. So we too can go to God and we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord, which is an amazing thing. And again, people that don't know the Lord can't do that. Think about how many times in my own life I've turned and drawn strength from the Lord. And sometimes it's all that keeps you going. It's the only thing that gives you that clarity. And again, you can't, you can't turn to the Lord if you, don't, if you don't know him. There's so many ways that we can turn to the Lord, that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Fellowship, prayer, worship. But the greatest to me is, is his word. It's this. We strengthen ourselves in his word. At the beginning of the King James Version, there's a letter that the translators of the Bible they give a Bible to, to King James, and it says that this Bible is an inestimable treasure which excelleth all of the riches of this earth. And in the version that I have, the ESV, it says that this is the most valuable thing the world affords. Speaking of this Bible, this Word of God, this living, breathing Word of God is the most valuable thing that we have. My wife works for Open Doors, and that in itself is, is a miracle how all that happened. But she works for Open Doors. She actually um, works on a Standing Strong event. So I've got to learn so much about the persecuted church. Um, and, you know, it's brought such clarity as to how wonderful it is that we own these Bibles, that we have these Bibles. Between myself, my wife, and my kids, I think we've probably got about 10 Bibles in the house. That is such an abundance of riches. People in the world don't have Bibles. People in the world have to bury their Bibles. People in, this, in the world live in fear of being caught with their Bibles. People have to scribble the Bible, the, the, the Word of God down, memorize it because they don't have the Word. It's, 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 the Word of God is food for our soul. It's, it's, it's a lifeline for us, just in the same way that it is for them. But we have it. We're so blessed to have this Word of God. Psalm 121 is where I really want to spend a little bit of time in today. And the Psalms are just such a wonderful place for us to turn to. 
It's one of the five poetic books of the Bible, and I love these poetic books in the Bible because they deal with all these issues of life. These issues of life that philosophers will debate. What's the meaning of life? You know, why do the wicked prosper? All of these kind of things, death, etc. But the word of God is truth. It's not part of the debate. It cuts through all of this philosophy, all of these debates about all of these things, and it just tells us truth. That's such a wonderful thing because the Psalms and Proverbs and the other poetic books of the Bible, they point to God. They cut through all of these things, and they all point us to God. And to me, it's such an amazing book, the book of Psalms, to meditate on because it cuts through the humdrum of life. It cuts through all of those things that we are never going to have answers for until we get a chance to speak to the Lord outside of of the truth that he's given us in his word. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Psalm 121, I don't know what it says at the beginning of your Psalm 121, but it says here, there's a footnote, it says it's a song of ascents. A song of ascent. There's 15 songs of ascent. Psalm 120 through to 134. There's 15 of them. David wrote four. Solomon wrote one. The rest of them are anonymous. The reason they're called songs of ascent is because these are the songs. They're songs. They're songs that the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem to the feasts would sing on the way up. And the reason these psalms, these songs of ascent are so amazing is because they were based on the experience of generations of the people of God. They're highs of the experiences with God. They're lows and everything in between. These psalms are so visceral. They're so real because they're just formed on so much experience. And they give this whole idea, these songs of ascent, of climbing, ascending to, to a higher place. The wilderness that these, that these pilgrims were walking through was just that. It was wilderness. And I don't know what you think about when you think about wilderness, but this was rocky dry, barren roads, probably with weeds and things like that, all at the side of the road and just dusty and really pretty grim. But not only that, dangerous, because robbers could come and and mug you. They could, you know, just spring out on you on, on this road. And it was a dangerous, dangerous road. And life can be a little bit like that sometimes. But the thing that's amazing to me about this, these songs of ascent is that The people were on this dangerous road. They were ascending up to Jerusalem, which is on a set of hills, but their eyes were fixed on worshipping the Lord. They're on their way to Mount Zion to worship the Lord, despite all of these dangers, despite all of these these things and the fact they were on this this, this wilderness path. And I think about Jesus when he set his, his eyes like a flint, his face like a flint when he was on the way to the cross. And just as we're walking through life, It's the same thing. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Keep our eyes fixed on how amazing he is, how wonderful he is, and the purpose that he has for each of our lives. Such a wonderful picture. Verse 1 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? And again, their eyes, they were set on the goal, the hill of God to worship him. And they ask a question, where does my help come from? This word help comes up twice. And they answer the question straight away. It says in verse 2, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So who was going to help them? Who was going to deliver them? Who was going to be their savior? Who was going to help them in the situations that they were facing in life? These generations of these people of God. But the answer is the Lord. My help comes from 
the Lord. Not from the hills themselves, not from the gods that are worshipped in the hills, but from God who created the hills. That's where the help comes from. You don't have to turn to this, but Isaiah chapter 40 Verse 26 is a wonderful scripture. It says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, speaking of the stars and the universe. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. That's the God that we serve. That's how powerful God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He holds everything together. He's in control of absolutely everything. And we think sometimes, and it's just natural, that our problems are so much bigger, and it's true, than we can handle. But no problem can be bigger. No life situation, no problem that we're going through, nothing that we face in life can be bigger than God, if that's how we define our Lord. He's all-powerful. He's the creator of everything. That's where our help comes from. Verse 3, it says, he will not let your foot be moved. And the terrain would have been rocky. It would have been slippery. There'd be all these opportunities for people just to slip and to lose their feet and to, their, and to stumble. But Jude 24 says, now unto him who is able to prevent us, stop us from stumbling and to present us blameless in glory before God, Jude 24. The world is a slippery place spiritually. We know that. And then Psalm, just flick back one Psalm, and again, you don't necessarily need to. I'll read it out. Psalm 112, this is amazing to me. Now unto him who is able to prevent us from stumbling. Psalm 112, verse 6, says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. He will not let our foot be moved. What an amazing truth that that is, that our hearts can be firm and we can trust in the Lord. Verse 3 says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor Sleep. God is never off duty. He doesn't need six to eight hours sleep as we do every night. He's not going to drift off. I always think about the disciples when Jesus said, keep watch. They nodded off. They were exhausted. We get tired. We drift off. I need my sleep. But God doesn't need sleep. He doesn't drift off. He's always, always there. He doesn't need a rest. He's never off duty. He's always watching over us. And then verse five says, the Lord is your keeper. There's an introduction here of the word keep, and depending on what your translation is, it's the same word in Hebrew. It's mentioned six times, keep, preserve, protect. It's the same word, but it's keep. So God is, the Lord is your keeper, and it really is the center of this psalm. It's right in the center, verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. And as Christians, those of us that know the Lord Isn't that an amazing thing? That we can base our life on that amazing truth that God is our keeper. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's our keeper. And the fact that it's in the center of this psalm to me is amazing because I just pray, Lord, don't ever let me forget that. 
that you are my keeper. It doesn't matter what else is happening around in my, in my world, whatever's orbiting my life, God is my keeper, my anchor for my soul. Verse 5 continues, The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Our shadow is always with us. It's really just saying that no matter where we are, the Lord is with us. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you, again that word keep, will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And I prefer the King James translation here. It says he will preserve your soul. He will preserve your soul. Just all these great issues of life, the meaning of life. What are we doing here? Our life is just a vapor here on earth, which is true. But we're created spiritual beings. We're created for eternity. And God will preserve our soul. In these times of confusion, in these times of trouble, in these times of just not knowing which way to turn, we can turn to the Lord. There's this verse in Jeremiah 3.23. It says, Truly the hills are a delusion. The idolatry on the mountains, truly... In the Lord, our God, is our salvation. I think about as they're walking up and saying, you know, where, where does our help come from? It doesn't come from these hills. Jeremiah says these hills, these things in life, these idols, these things we turn to, these things that in the flesh we feel sometimes are more important to us than the Lord, this kind of immediate reaction to things, to turn to things of this world, to seek comfort, to seek confidence, to seek answers, to seek wisdom in these things of this world outside of the Lord. It's never going to give us that wisdom. It's never going to give us that knowledge. It's never going to give us the answers that the Lord can, can give us. We're not going to find anything in the hills. We're not going to find anything outside of the Lord. And verse 8 says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This going out and coming in, it's, it's a metaphor It's a metaphor for just the Lord is going to be with you everywhere and in everything that you do. This to me, you get to the end of the psalm, you think this psalm's been so amazing, these wonderful truths. This seems like a bit of a throwaway verse, but then you meditate on it and think, you know what? This is amazing that the the same God that created the heavens and the earth that is all powerful, this amazing God who's able to keep everything together in the palm of his hands is the same God that is interested in our comings and goings, just in our ins and outs, in the home, in whatever it is that we do, our jobs, these small things in life. That, to me, blows my mind. That our God is so big that he can be so interested in these things that just seem so... They have to seem trivial. In our mind, they have to seem trivial to the God that created the universe. I was preparing for this message... My kids were in and out of the house, in and out. And I was trying to prepare for this, and James comes up, and he says, you know, Daddy, I'm trying to make this parachute. I've got this Lego man on the bottom of the parachute. I'm throwing it out your bedroom window, and it's just crashing to the floor. Help me fix this parachute. So I'm helping him fix the parachute. I'd realized that he'd he tied about four quality streets to the bottom of it, so it was just crashing straight away. So I was helping him, and then my daughter comes in, and, you know, her bike's uh, brakes aren't working on her bike. Daddy, can you fix this? And I'm trying to do my message. And it was such a picture to me that I keep my children. I love my children. I'll never turn them away, even though I'm trying to do something else. I will never do that. 
because my kids are so important. I keep them, I preserve them, I protect them, I help them. I help them. These times of need that they have, it was the end of the world to my son that this parachute wasn't working. To me, it's like, it's just a parachute, but it's, it's his, it's important to him. And it was such a picture to me as to how it doesn't matter what it is we're going through. If we think that it's just too trivial for the Lord, it's not true. Because he says here that he is with us in our going out and our coming in. And then finally, from this time forth and forevermore. And I think again, these songs of ascent, these pilgrims on their way up to worship the Lord. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We're strangers in this land. We're on our way to a destination it's no different for us from this time forth and forever more. This world is not our home. We're heading somewhere else. Amen. And you know, again, I was so touched by this psalm. This is the psalm that I sent to my uh, pastor friend who had, had the heart attack. I was just praying, Lord, give me something which I can send him. And he's, he's a pastor. He knows the Bible inside out. But just give me something that will speak to him. And this is, this is what I sent him. And this is what really touched me this week. But again, I was left thinking at the end of it as I was reading Luke this week. Um, I've been reading Luke. And I got to Luke chapter 10 and the Good Samaritan. And what the Lord had really been putting on my heart is, you know, this is great for you, Ian. I saved you from the life that you were in. There's nothing I did. And I now have this amazing relationship with the Lord. My family have a relationship with the Lord. But there's so many people that don't. And that's what I've been pondering on this week. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. It's the parable, as it says, of the Good Samaritan, or the the account of the Good Samaritan. And I won't read the whole thing out, but we we probably all know the Good Samaritan. But Jesus is speaking to this scribe, this scribe, or this lawyer, it says, but it's really a scribe. Is trying to test Jesus, trying to, to, to catch Jesus out, basically. And he asked Jesus a question. And the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? We all know you do anything to, to inherit eternal life. But that's what he's asking Jesus. And then Jesus turns it back to him and says, well, you tell me, what do the scriptures say? How readest thou the scriptures? How readest thou? What do the scriptures say? And he says, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds and says, you know what? You answered correctly. You're right. Now do this and you will live. Now knowing none of us can do this, we all know this, we can't do it. Jesus is the only person that can love God with all his heart with all his soul, with all his strength, and with all his might, and loving neighbors itself. We're not able to do it. We're fallen. It's beyond us. And this scribe knew at the same time that he also couldn't do it. So he asked Jesus another question, trying to worm his way out of it. And it says here that in order to try and justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Again, he's trying to kind of wrangle his way out of it. And I love that question. I think about the scribe asking that question. It's almost as if saying, well, who's my neighbor? Because I don't want to waste my love on somebody that's not my neighbor. 
got all this love to give, but I don't want to waste it on somebody that's not my neighbor. And I love Jesus' response. He didn't directly answer it straight away. He went straight into this account. Verse 30, Jesus replied, Luke chapter 10, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, um, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, verse 33, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. And we heard this morning the sermon, and we've been talking even since we've been here, about having compassion on people that are lost. The Good Samaritan had compassion. It goes on. I won't read it out. But he bound up his wounds. He took oil and wine. He bound up his wounds. He gave this beaten up man his donkey, put him on, the, put him on his donkey. He walked with him to an inn. He left him with an innkeeper. He gave him two denarii or two pence, but actually it's two days worth of wages. He left with the innkeeper and said, look after this man. I will come back and I will give you the money, anything that you've spent over this two denarii when I, when I return. And then verse 36, and it's so clever, it's so clever what Jesus said here at the end of this Account, verse 36, Jesus is saying, which of these three, referring to the priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus has completely twisted it around. The scribe is saying, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is saying, who was the neighbor to the person in need, to the, to the person that was beaten up. Jesus completely turned it around. And I love this because the scribe answered and he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him again, yeah, you're right. Now you go and do likewise. You go and do Likewise, so what Jesus is really saying here is that our neighbor is anyone that needs help. We need to be a neighbor ourselves to anyone that needs help. Anyone that needs help. And in verse 30, I've already read it, but he says that this, 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 um, this man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was left half dead. So he was beaten up and left half dead. And I underlined half dead. And thinking about it, well, I was half dead. We were all half dead until we knew the Lord. We're created in the image of God. God is spirit. We're spiritually dead until we know the Lord. We're physically alive, but spiritually dead. We're half dead until we know the Lord. And I think about that man lying there on the floor, half dead. How many people around us are half dead? Physically, they're alive. But spiritually dead, that's exactly where I was for 28 years of my life, half dead. There's people half dead all around us. People do not know the Lord. They don't know the Lord described in Psalm 121. They don't know the Lord. They're, half, they're dead to the Lord, all of his benefits, how amazing he is, how much he loves us how he's our ever-present help in time of need, how he's our keeper. They're dead, half dead to all of that. And I have such, I just, I I understand because that's exactly where I was, half 
dead. And what's amazing to me is before I was saved, nobody knew. Nobody really knew how I was feeling inside. Nobody knew that I had no peace. Nobody knew that I was striving for something that I never really needed. Nobody knew that I was restless. Nobody knew that I was struggling with these great questions in life. Nobody knew that I was kind of tormented, losing sleep at night. Nobody knew that. On the outside, it looked great. Had a great job. You know, had a wonderful fiancé, wife, Ruth. And on the outside, it's just nobody would have known. Nobody would have known. Nobody would have known. But there are so many people around us hurting families, hurting marriages, just people that are lost, people that are desperate. And all you have to do sometimes is scratch a little bit on the surface for it all to kind of just come out. Anybody who even, and this is amazing to me, because anybody who even thinks they're all right but don't know the Lord are not okay. Because everything can be going amazingly, but if you don't know the Lord and you're not going to heaven, you're half dead. So the way I look at it is if anybody out there doesn't know the Lord, whether they're down and out, beaten up on the street, going through hard times in life, or they really do have everything together, they're half dead. Half dead. And I've moved around a lot, been to different parts of the world, and you know what? The devil has a stronghold in different places, in different ways. In Silicon Valley, it was technology. Everybody on their phones, crazy busy, trying to make as much money as they possibly can. Life is crazy in Silicon Valley. No one's got time for the Lord. In fact, the percentage of people that go to church in Silicon Valley is about as low as it is here, and the UK is so low in terms of percentage of people that go to church and truly know the Lord. I went to Uganda on a mission, set up a church over there, and witchcraft everywhere. So the devil just has a hold in different areas. I, don't, I haven't really worked out what it is in the Cotswolds at the moment. I don't know. But it could well be that we live in the Cotswolds, and the Cotswolds is amazing, and the Cotswolds is beautiful, and half of us have Land Rovers, and it just looks great. We live in the Cotswolds, and there's a bit of a pride thing with it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is in the Cotswolds. But the devil will have a stronghold here too. There's something that needs to be broken here. There's bondage in this area in the same way that it is everywhere. And the, the, um, Roger Simpson was, was talking about this morning, just saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. Man's heart's the same wherever you go. And it's amazing. Everywhere I go, people say, oh, this is a really tough area here. But everybody will say the same. But it's just, it's just human hearts. It's just human hearts. People are in slavery they need to be set free. People are blind. They cannot see. People are lost. They need to be found. It doesn't matter wherever you go. People need the Lord. And it's amazing because he was, um, uh, Roger, is Roger Simpson, wasn't it, this morning? Roger. He was talking about excuses and how Moses would make those excuses. You know, I'm not eloquent. I stammer. Send somebody else. And there's countless examples through the Bible of people saying, here I am, Lord, send him. There's countless examples. And I think about this, this account, again, of the Good Samaritan, and thinking, well, first of all, I think, well, who was worse, the robbers or the Levite and the priest for, for ignoring the man that was mugged? But then I think, well, what about, I mean, maybe we shouldn't be so hard on them because it was a dangerous road, so what would their excuses have been? Maybe, you know what, this could be a decoy. It could be a decoy. This man is lying here and somebody is trapping us to look after this man and then we're going to get mugged. That's a valid, not a valid excuse, but it's an excuse that's kind of understandable. 
Or what, 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 what could their other excuses have been? Maybe they were late for a service, the priest, and he had to get there, for example. Or maybe it was just a case of, you know what, I just need to get home to my family. That's not a dishonorable excuse, necessarily. But their excuses, nonetheless, the point is, is they didn't stop. They didn't stop. They didn't go out of their way. They just carried on doing what they were doing. And the scribe was right when he said, when, when, when he answered the Lord and said, the one who showed him mercy, because he had compassion. He had mercy. And what did that look like? He gave time. He stopped. He went out of his way. He gave time, but he gave resources. He gave two days worth of wages. He gave his donkey. It was self-sacrificial. It was self-sacrificial. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He sacrificed himself for the help of another person. It was self-sacrificial. He gave up his own donkey and walked. He went out of his way. And that's deeply, deeply convicting to me. Because we get busy. We, we, just, we have lives to live. But, you know, I have to ask myself... And I believe the Lord's asking all of us, do we go out of our way? Are we always going out of our way for people that are around us that are half dead? Are we showing people that love? Are we self-sacrificing our time and our resources? Are we, we can't save anyone, we know that, but we can be in tune with the Holy Spirit and we can be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's calling us to do and we can be discerning when the Holy Spirit is asking us to to. to to speak, to, to, to just do whatever he's asking us to do. We can be sensitive to that. But it's so easy to not do that. And I think about what does that look like for us about showing an example? Well, it's showing people love. And I think about just, just a great example. Ruth and I in California, we just moved into a new house and there was this couple opposite and it was just really, really on our hearts to speak to this couple. Life is so busy in California. It really is. You barely know your neighbors. It's crazy in Silicon Valley. You come home, the garage goes up. You just drive into your garage. It's all automatic. It just drives down. You're in your house. You come out the next day. You come back. People don't know their neighbors. But it was so on our hearts to speak to this couple who lived opposite. But it wasn't easy. You come back from work at six, six, seven o'clock at night. You're tired. But the Lord's just putting it on, on our hearts. You've got to go and make an effort with that cup. You've got to cross the road. You've got to stop. You've got, you've got to just not think about yourself for a moment and go and speak to that couple. And over the course of a few months, we did build up a relationship with them. Um, and we became really friendly with them. And I got a knock on the door one evening. And you know, I was, um, as, a, as a pastor, I, did, I was doing baby dedications and things like that. And they said, will you dedicate our baby for us? Which is amazing to me. It's amazing to me. They still weren't Christians at that point, but I dedicated their child. They then moved to Colorado, and we got this letter in the post from them. And it basically just said, you know what? We've, we've given our hearts to the Lord, and we're plugged into this church in Colorado, and it was the most amazing letter. And they were just grateful that we had just given them some time. And it was, it was an amazing kind of stab of joy for us and an encouragement because please don't think that we are always doing exactly what we need to do and we're not always you know obedient ourselves that's why this message is so convicting to me but in this instance we were and the joy the joy that Ruth and I experienced from that 
was incredible. And the Bible says that angels rejoice in the heavens when people are saved. And I just think, just that joy itself was amazing. But the, and I felt like the, the Lord was just kind of, my wife always says this, the Lord, was like, the Lord was giving us a little kiss on the cheek, just with that letter. But the point is, is that that wasn't easy. It was so much easier for us just not to bother. I mean, we were ministering at the church and, you know, we were really doing our bit, you know. But we did. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And Ruth and I have been talking about this recently. We don't know so many people here because we haven't been here too long. We've just really made this recommitment just to wear the Lord on our sleeve in our workplaces, you know, where we are. The Lord hasn't got you where you are or me where I am for no reason. He's in control of everything. He knows. So just mentioning to people when we go to work on a Monday, what do you do? Oh, I went to church or, or using that word Christian. Sometimes I think we're just we're like secret evangelists. There's no such thing as being a secret evangelist. And when I think about what I do, I've got to stop thinking, you know, I'm a regional whatever I am. What I actually am is I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a. And it's an amazing way to think. I remember when I was, we had a, a garage, and I, I so close to doing this, get an aerosol can on the inside of my garage and writing, you are now entering the mission field when I'd leave and go in the morning. Because that's true. We only ever meet two types of people. You either meet Christians who need encouraging, saints who need encouraging, or we meet people who don't know the Lord. There are only two types of people that we meet, people that need encouraging in the Lord or people that need to know the Lord. And I remember when I was told that, it gives me absolutely no excuse not to speak to anybody about the Lord. And that's the second thing that we can do. So the first thing we can do is be that example. We can show people love. We can go out of our way. The second, people, the second thing we can do is just tell people. I think about Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 7, I think it is. He's referred to as Philip the Evangelist, and there's the whole account of him speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's an amazing story because he was led by the Lord. He stopped what he was doing. He was obedient to the Lord. He baptized this Ethiopian eunuch. But it's really interesting, the word that she used, it said that Philip opened his mouth. I think that's what we need to do, just open our mouth sometimes. I know it's not easy, and we don't always do it. But you know what? In this world, it's so everything's up for debate. Everything is up for debate. But your testimony is never up for debate, ever. No one can argue with our testimony. No one can argue with what the Lord's done in our life. No one can argue with that. Well, they can, but they can't because it's your testimony. It's your experience, which again is why that song of ascent is so powerful to me because it's the experience of people over however many generations. But no one can argue with our testimony. We can invite people to church, as we were talking about this morning. And I look at it and just think, it's, it's an amazing thing. It wasn't easy for me telling my parents that I'd become a Christian. It really wasn't my dad in particular. But I did, and I don't even think I knew how to really share my testimony at that time. I was probably like Moses, stammering all over the place. But lo and behold, through the combination of me telling my parents and them seeing a genuine change in my life that to begin with, they were trying to attribute to everything else. Oh, it must have been Ruth. Ruth's lovely. She must have had a good impact on me, which she did, which she did. But it wasn't the Lord because it's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that changed and transformed my life completely. In the end, my parents couldn't deny it. 
My mum got saved. My dad went mental. Two years later, he Skyped me. Son, I found the Lord, or the Lord's found me. My dad was saved. I told my nan about the Lord just before she died. She was saved. My sister's saved. And it's like that scripture that Paul said, you and your household will be saved. I cling on to that. It's so true. It's not, it's not up to us to do it. I know we can't do it. But as the pastor was speaking about earlier on this morning, you know what? God could write it in the sky. He could write it in the sky. But he doesn't. He asks us to partake with him, to open our mouths, to tell people. And lastly, as well as being that example, telling people, we can just pray for people. We can just pray for people. My, uh, when I asked my wife's dad if I could marry Ruth, he said yes, but I don't think he was particularly happy about it because I wasn't saved. And he tried again to tell me about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, well... I'll listen to you, I guess. And I did, and I listened, and I went off and thought, oh, that's just rubbish. You know, but at least he said that I could marry Ruth, whether he was happy about it or not, he said that I could. And, um, and I, just, I just found out years afterwards that Bruce's mum and dad had been praying incessantly for me for so many years, because Ruth and I have been together for a long time, way before we were married. And they've just been praying and praying and praying and praying. These prayers are not wasted for people. And I think about it. I've still got family members that are not saved. They haven't all been saved. I've got uncles and what have you. And we just, we just pray for them, as well as being that example, as well as telling them about the Lord. Just pray for them. And I think the reason that that's just so impressed on my heart and the reason I just wanted to share it was because the Lord showed me just how amazing he is, how amazing it is to know him, but just how hard it must be for people that don't know the Lord. And even if it's not hard because their life is all together, they just can't possibly understand how amazing it is to know the Lord. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your compassion. Lord, I just thank you that you've taken each and every one of us here and taken a heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh, that you've opened our eyes. Lord, that you flicked that switch. Lord, that you've set us free from that slavery, from that bondage. And Lord, you've opened our eyes to just how amazing you are, Lord. How you are ever-present help in time of need. Lord, how much you love us. Lord, how much you desire to keep us. And how much, Lord, you just want us to just lean into you and just surrender our lives to you and just allow you, Lord, to do that that we can't do in these circumstances in life with these choices we face, just life. Lord, you want to do life for us and with us. And Lord, all we have to do is just understand and just yield and just give you our lives because you are always with us. You'll never leave us. you never forsake us. You don't slumber You care about our comings in and our going out. And Lord, you will preserve our soul. And Lord, one day when we stand before you, we will realize just how amazing that is. I don't think we've got any understanding 
at this point, but we will one day. Help us just to grasp, Lord, just your goodness and all that you've done for us. And Lord, though we do pray for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray for this area, I pray for this country, this, this, this country that I love, Lord, that we all love and used to just produce so many amazing men and women of God and Lord, just how so many of our churches now are just being converted into flats and, and whatever, Lord. And I just, there's such a, there's just real tradition, Lord, in this country. And I just pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit, will build on that, Lord, and, and will just revive this nation, Lord, yet again, Lord. May we just be a nation, just like Jeremiah, who's just your word just burned, Lord, in his bones. May we just... Just return, Lord, to that love, to your love again, Lord, and just use us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, just everywhere, Lord. Just lead us by your spirit, Lord, and give us that boldness. Give us that courage, Lord, but above all else, Lord, give us that compassion, Lord. Give us a heart for those that you love just so dearly. Again, Lord, I just thank you just for this time, for this church, and Thank you for Pastor Phil and Pastor Edward and and just for each of these souls here, Lord. Just thank you again for this opportunity. Just go before us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.